Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitcavage, and this is a podcast where you can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check us out on the web at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. Today's guest is a citizen of the Penobscot Indian Nation where he grew up. He received his BA in Native American Studies from Dartmouth College and his MFA in Fiction from Stone Coast's Low Residency Program. His work has appeared in Granta, The Georgia Review, Tri-Quarterly, Narrative Magazine, Lit Hub, and elsewhere. His debut story collection, Night of the Living Res, is out now via Tin House Books. I'm, of course, talking about Morgan Talty. Hey, Morgan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? You know, I am fabulous. I, I loved your short story collection, Night of the Living Res. Um, and I'm so excited to talk to you. It's been on my radar for a long time. Tin House sent it to me pretty early. And so I'm, I, I've sat with it for a long time now. Well, thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear you enjoyed it. Um, and it's a short story collection. It's a, a dozen stories. Uh, tell readers a little bit about what the stories are about and, and, and kind of like, yeah, what Night of the Living Res is to you. Yeah, so Night of the Living Res, like you said, it's it's a dozen stories, it's 12 stories, and they're all told from the perspective of uh, the same character, David, as a young boy, and David as an older um, man named D. Um, and they bounce back and forth through time. So there's a D story, a David story, a D story. And, you know, each, each story, it was, you know, my intention to have them stand alone. Um, but there's a, there was this larger question I saw about about the stories and it was kind of um you know like how do the living come back to life you know if they're not even dead yet and in, in many ways this story the story collection is about a, f- a family that is you know struggles and and has a lot of tragedy in their lives and um ultimately you know you you see that they have fallen apart in the d narratives and you know it's it, the stories build to sort of figuring out why this happened but the, the book to me really is about you know what does it mean to hope? What does it mean to love and care for the people in our lives who are in these situations, right? How do we forgive them? How do we forgive ourselves? So it's, it's really a meditation on trying to love, trying to bring people closer together. Mm-hmm. And it looks like the first story was published uh, in 2017. What was the first story you wrote for, for, these, for this collection? Yeah, the first story I wrote was uh, Night of the Living Res, the uh, title story, the one that is second to last. Mm-hmm. And I wrote that in 2015. And so with that, did you, when you wrote Living Res, did you know you were going to write about the same character for this many stories? Like, was that in mind already? N- not at the time. Um, I dabbled with just writing some stories from David's perspective. Um, I think the only one prior to entering into my MFA program that I wrote from David's perspective that made it into the collection was Smoke's Last. Um, and all the other ones ended up just becoming practice, really. Um, but I had I had no intention of writing from David's point of view for an extended period of time, especially, you know, in, in a collection. But when I went into my MFA program, I was like, well, I'll write a story collection. I have this character I've been working with, you know, I'll see what I can do. And the only parameters I really set for the collection was okay i'll start with him as a young boy and then i move all the way up to night of living res when he's you know sort of like a young man like 18 17 18 mm-hmm. years old and i wrote that and it was just absolutely horrible um it was like the worst book you know i think that had ever been written um because it was just sort of boring it was really monotonous it was just the same character just a little bit older and i think you know 
three or four or five of those stories were good. You know, the rest were just sort of like filler. It was me trying to like fill this out. And it wasn't until I wrote Burn that I knew I had a different collection um, because that's when I discovered D. Um, I wrote Burn not intending to write it from David's point of view at all. It just, I was so used to writing in, D, in David's perspective that I wanted to name this character David, but I didn't. And, but then I was like, wait, is this David? You know, if, if this is him grown up, you know, what happened? And um, so that just transformed the whole thing. And it started me on this journey writing um, D and Fellas narratives until, you know, the story brought me closer to what this whole collection wanted to be. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and Burns, the first story in the collection, it's pretty short, like six pages. Um, and then the, they vary in length. They vary in like, like you said, time, place. Um, so once you wrote Burn, once you realized Dee and David were the same person, you were kind of were on this path of this will eventually be a full collection right then. And then, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I didn't, to be honest, in the early stages, like I knew, um, D was David, but I was toying with this idea of whether or not I should let the narrator, know, I mean, let the reader yeah. know that, that was David. Um, and so I feel like I made this conscious effort to really make him isolated from his family because it, you very rarely see him with, you know, his mom. You, know, you don't mm-hmm. see him with his mom until I think Earth Speak, you know, this final story. And um, it's actually in that story, the first D story we ever hear that he's called David. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I realized I was like, readers are, are too smart. They're going to know automatically. So I was like, but it was good that I went that way because it created this whole other, you know, aspect of this isolation for him in this, I think, building tension of what happened. Um, so while I was inadvertent, while I was trying to do something that ended up failing, another thing ended up succeeding in its place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then one thing I'm, I'm obsessed with when it comes to short story collections is like the, the order things are told in. Um, was it easy for you to put, to put these stories in the way you wanted the readers to hear, or was there a lot of uh, playing around with it? There wasn't too much playing around with it. It was, it was a nerve wracking because it, it is like, you got to get the stories right. You know, with, with a story collection with, with characters that are unrelated places that are unrelating, it's a, it's a bit easier, right? You, you lead with your best story, then you have another good story and then maybe a weaker one and then a really good one. Right. And you, and you try to keep that going, but with this, where it was interconnected, um, they had to be in a certain order. And the David stories were super easy to order just because I had written them chronologically. Um, there was some flexibility. Like I could have been able to switch like food for the common cold and the blessing tobacco. I could see those as, as being flip-flopped um, because they're so close in age, I think. But the D stories had no time markers. Um, there was nothing... There were no events that spoke to each other across, at least at the time, um, across stories. There was no mention of age, nothing like that. So the way I ordered it was I printed out five, I printed out all, all first it was 10 stories. And then when Tin House bought it, they, they asked for an additional two and mm-hmm. I gave them another two. Um, but at the time it was 10 and I put all the David stories on the, on the ground and left space in between them. And then I just sort of like looked at them and and walked around with the D stories and was like, what happens if I put this here? And I was just trying to feel like the emotion of it. And those are the harder ones to, to order because again, there's no time marker. And it was like, I had to just sort of go with feeling and go Mm -hmm. with, you know, where D was at emotionally at that time. And that also forced me to revise some too, you know, like, okay, what happens if we change this in Earth speak, right? Is there mm-hmm. a way that this comes before, you know, 
half-life for example or you know get me some medicine um so yeah it was i feel like i got pretty lucky <laughs> and i feel like I, I found the right order yeah i mean i'll get to the idea of like a novel and stories in a little bit but i do want to talk about those two stories and i don't have them written down but uh the two stories that like you had to write for the collection specifically how is that different from a creative perspective from a like a uh, yeah, like the creative perspective of writing, knowing these will actually be published as opposed to writing and then submitting and then, you know. Yeah, so the, so the two stories that Tin House, well, actually, there were four stories and they okay. were actually all done um, with the exception of one. And two of them were from David's perspective and two of them were f- from Dee's perspective. Mm. And they didn't want the David ones. They wanted the D ones. And those were In a Field of Stray Caterpillars mm-hmm. and Half-Life. Um, in a field of straight caterpillars that wasn't in there. I would have put it in, I think. Um, but I felt like it was like my weakest story. <laughs> um, and, and I feel like through revision and, and working on it, it got stronger. You know, I think it stands with, with, it can stand with the other ones now. And half-life was actually half-life is actually, I think the most in the collection, it's the most centerpiece of, of the book because it speaks across the stories um you know we get a sense of you know david's sister and this mention of jail and, and stuff like that and um i actually wrote that in the early stages of my despair as a writer hmm. wondering whether or not this book was ever if an agent was ever going to take it because so many agents were like oh, can you turn this into a novel and then we'll, we'll look at it again. And so Half-Life was my attempt to try to like pinpoint a central like place where mm-hmm. I could connect these stories and then maybe go back through and find other links to do it. But I started to do it and I was like, this is just breaking the story collection. Um, and, and so I was like, I'm not going to, I'll let it speak when it speaks about these other stories and moments, but I'm not going to do anything further with it. And Tin House didn't push for it either. They were like, these are stories, you know, this is, it's working the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk about that idea now with like, um, you know, a novel stories, novel and stories. Do you consider it a novel and stories? I know like that's like a loose term people sometimes use, um, or is this like, these are short stories. They just happen at the same character. Yeah, I think it's, I see them as short stories and I, and I also see them as, as novel, as a novel, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, and I think we can use the term novel and stories, but I, I feel like in a way it is definitely novels and stories, but I feel like you can simply categorize it as a novel in, mm-hmm. in a way. Um, you know, I, when I wrote this book, I, I recognized it's unique you know, down the road, I recognized its unique position and that it could fit in multiple categories. Um, and the, and there are a lot of, you know, interconnected story collections out there. Um, but the one that I was most drawn to that I think kind of helped me was Jennifer Egan's A Visit from the Goon Squad, because mm-hmm. so many people are like, is it a novel? Is it a story collection? Um, and so it, it was in my mind, um, or it is in my mind, stories and also sort of this like novel I guess yeah and that's what I loved about I mean when I picked it up I don't I try not to other than like the pitch from you know the the publicist I try not to read like any copy on the back or anything and I just go into it and it took me a second I reread the first few stories because I was like I just gotta wrap my head around what like Morgan's doing now before I move on and uh yeah it's just like beautifully done and like David D 
is just like I think a, a memorable character characters if you want to view them as like two separate entities you know um but yeah so it was just a wild read for me like it was just like I, I was like oh yes this is this is something I could tell early on it was something special well thank you I'm glad I'm glad it started strong <laughs> so you're from Maine you're from the Penobscot uh, nation um, a lot of the stories this, I mean as are the characters what was reading and literature and writing like for you as a kid? Was it very involved in like your family or culture? Um, literature as something written was not, I hated reading. I hated mm-hmm. writing <laughs> growing up. Um, I love storytelling though, like, you know, oral storytelling. Um, you know, my, I feel like my mom was a fantastic storyteller in that she you know, something would happen and she would call, you know, one of her sisters up, one of my aunts, and she would be telling them the story and she would get more than 50% of the details wrong. It didn't matter if the story had like the event happened five minutes ago, a day ago, a week ago, she always managed to get it wrong. And like, I don't, I don't know if it was like deliberate, but like, I always recognized it. And I feel like part of my, part of my sort of like skill set for storytelling comes from, you know, my mother's lying in, in her own, um, you know, having grown up and, and heard that, but I didn't really read or write until I was, until I was much older, but I, I enjoyed storytelling. I loved telling stories that were not real, but also kind of had, you know, glimmers of, of reality in it. And it wasn't until I was like 18 or 19 that I was like, Oh, I want to write because I realized, you know, that this passion for storytelling, even though I didn't do it, you know, in some large capacity, mm-hmm. it was just something I felt, I was like, Oh, I can pursue this in a certain way. Um, And at the time, you know, I didn't know how hard it was to be a writer. So I was just this stubborn, you know, naive kid for, you know, five, six, seven years, just reading and writing and, Mm -hmm. you know, studying and stuff. Um, And, you know, I think, you know, one of the first books that like really got me interested in writing was uh, Kerouac's The um, On the Road, Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and I moved to Maine when I was six. And in the summers, I'd go and visit my dad. And I did that for, geez, I don't know, um, you know, 14, 14, 15 years. You know, I was always on that Greyhound bus driving, you know, from Maine, stopping at South Station, waiting the layovers. You know, I was on the road in a sense. And when I encountered Kerouac's book, I was like, oh, my God, you know, I, I saw like a part of me like in there, um, you know, and, and not necessarily a part of me, but a part of what I had seen in, in this traveling landscape. And um and and so that i went through the beat generation you know all the beat writers um and i just then just started to read everything i could get my hands on you know and i mean some of my favorite writers like raymond carver dennis johnson um alice monroe uh, richard van camp you know there's there's so many out there that i, I can name that have like really influenced me karen russell mm-hmm. um just mm-hmm. just tons yeah. And, and so you, you say you want to, you kind of really started thinking about writing, you know, 17, 18, 19, um, you got your undergrad in Native American studies. Um, were you writing then? I mean, yeah, you just said that I'm, I'm trying to think of time-wise. Were you like writing stories like earnestly or just like messing around with it and just like focusing on studies? Yeah, I was, I was more just messing around with it. The, the <clears throat> thing that got, the thing that kept kept me writing in the undergrad was workshop. So I would, hmm. while I was a native studies major, I feel like I could have been an English major if I paid attention to like <laughs> course structures uh, and yeah. stuff. Um, but I, um, I always took a workshop when I could, whether it was a, 
intro to fiction and then an advanced or an intermediate and then an advanced. And then I did some creative nonfiction workshops. And I also did those at the, before I was at Dartmouth because I went to a community college for three years. Okay. Um, and then I transferred to Dartmouth. So I was no stranger to the workshop environment, but it was those that got me right, that kept me writing in a way, sort of like this assignment by assignment basis. Um, and it wasn't until I got into my MFA program that I was like, now I'm really writing. And that was mm -hmm. in 2017. Got it. Yeah. So, and then you eventually do Stone Coast MFA, the University of Southern Maine, slow yep. res, right? What was that like for you? Like the, was that important to do something where you weren't like, always there? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was great. I had no desire to do like a full residency on campus thing. I, you know, cause I did three years at a community college and then I did four years at Dartmouth mm -hmm. That's seven years for an undergraduate. And I'm just like, I was like, I'm done with cafeteria food. I'm done with dorm rooms. I'm you know, done with it all. And so the low res model, it was nice. Cause one, it was in Maine. It was just, you know, in an hour and 40 minute drive for me when I had to go to those two 10 day residencies, one in winter and one in summer. And then in between, it was just, you worked on, you worked with your mentor um, and you would do five packet exchanges of material. Um, and it was just, I don't know. It was like, I feel like being outside of the writing community and having to like write on your own and, you know, send your work in um, was super beneficial for me. I think it really helped me establish and create that sense of discipline um, that that writers really need yeah and like during during the year what are you writing full-time what were you what was your life like during that low res yeah I was so I was pretty much writing just full mm. full-time um and eventually I did get a, a break um Huston University in Bangor um I had applied a number of times to teach so I didn't have my my MFA yeah. yet I just had my undergrad and eventually they bit and they were like, oh, well, let's put you in the writing center. So I started working in the writing center and eventually they started giving me classes and stuff. So I, so I started to move into, into teaching. Um, and that was in, I think like 2018, I think that that started or maybe mm -hmm. 2019. Um, so I was writing for the most, for most of my MFA, I was writing. And then towards the, you know, the, the end of it, I started teaching and, and was working and writing. Yeah. Yeah. And like now you're, you're, uh, teaching at that low res MFA um, and writing. How is your writing? Like you talked about discipline. How has it changed now that like you are no longer just can just write all day. You have to pay bills doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there's this, you know, some writers can write every single day. Um, and, and to be honest, I'm just not that kind of writer. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I was under the illusion that I was supposed to be for a long time. And I think that created a great sense of anxiety in me. Um, but it, you know, I got over that and then I figured out, you know, I mean, obviously, like you said, you know, I, I, I teach that takes up an enormous amount of time, um, but it doesn't get in the way of my writing when I have to write or when I feel the need to write, you know, I always have to, I always try to make space for it. Um, you know, I go through spans of, you know, three, four months where I'll be like writing every day and working on a project. Um, but then there will be months where I'm not writing every day and I'm just flirting here and there with ideas and, and stories and editing and you know submitting stuff and um that sort of thing but like when I have an actual project that, I'm, that I have in mind I do do it every day even if I don't feel like it I'm like I have to do at least 500 words every mm -hmm. day um 
and my, my sweet spots around 800. If I go anywhere above 1200, I know I'm going to be sore the next day and I probably won't write. Mm. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's interesting. Um, but teaching helped me refine my process for, for writing. For sure. And like your projects, not like not talking about the future really or giving details, but um, are you leaning towards is the story of the form you love? Is there any long form novel in your mind for the future down the road? It, yeah, there is a novel that is complete that okay. my agent has been very excited about and it is um, being sent out. So <laughs> our fingers are crossed. Um my editor is currently reading it at Tin House. Um, it's called Fire Exit. And um, it's it's so hard to describe. Um, it's sort of like an epistolary novel, um, mm. but it doesn't have the letter format in it. It's taken out. Um, and it's and it's a man who is, he's non-native and he's telling this story to this girl who doesn't know he's her father. Um, because in order for her to be on the census, to be considered Penobscot, her mother lied and said that another native was her father because her mother was a quarter blood. So mm. it would have made her ineligible to be considered Penobscot in like a technical sense. Um, so really it's like this consequence of the, that colonial tool of blood quantum. Um, but there's so much more in it. It's like sure. this, he's trying to, he's telling a story about he really, he's trying to give his daughter all the stories that she doesn't know exist, but belong to her um, like about his family and his side. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's every time I try to try to describe it, I'm like, I don't know, I'm doing it justice. Um, but yeah, so I'm that, and I'm working on a, um, sort of like memoir and essay type book. Um, it kind of, I'm aiming for like the David Sedaris type area. Um, but I think darker, um, you know, you know, having, you know, going a bit darker and having, I think, mm-hmm more traumatic moments in it <laughs> um uh and yeah so I'm, I'm working on that and i have some novel ideas too for sure but yeah for I'm, I'm really like i love just storytelling and like i feel like it doesn't matter i feel like the genre is just a way to express mm-hmm. that story um and you know i don't gravitate towards one or the other um obviously stories of i've written you know four novels that have failed you know and it's this one that's you know the one yeah. that made it somewhere um but i love story i love short stories i i mm-hmm. think they're underappreciated um in some ways yeah. but i feel like i feel like there's like a certain like a resurgence of them actually coming out now because there's so many collections of stories that are interconnected or just by themselves yeah and and i feel like I, a lot of you know people in mfas who didn't have a long form project and you know, store a story collection came out of it. And then like their follow-up novel is like a year later, like that one, two punch, like yours potentially, right. Uh, Nana Kwama at Jabrenya short story collection novels coming out or Brandon Taylor did the novel, then short story collection. I feel like there's now there's this thing where it's like two, two pieces of a, of the writer's life are coming out like in short yeah. succession more than ever before, but maybe I just never paid attention to it. No, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, because I was always, I'm one of those people who are just constantly looking at books online. <laughs> um, yeah. And like, I don't, I mean, and, and I don't remember, I don't recall it being like that. I mean, another writer that comes to mind is Jonathan Escoffries, who's mm. um, If I Survive You novel and stories is coming out in like August or September. But he also, he did that one-two punch thing. He's like, oh, there's a story collection and then there's a novel coming out too. 
Um, I, I feel like it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know why. I think maybe short stories have just started to become, yeah. I don't, I don't, I mean, even if we think, to be honest, you know, you think of Hemingway, his first book was, you know, linked stories with, mm-hmm. you know, that single character. So maybe, maybe we both just don't know what we're talking about. And it's been going oh, on. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like that one, two punches, I, I remember just waiting for years for a book and now it's like, Oh, like, I feel like the, the maybe it's because you all, you writers are just like, yeah, let's churn it out. Let's rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, earlier you mentioned Kerouac on the road was like a, influential piece in your youth um have you been reading anything or want to read anything that's on your radar now yeah there's tons of stuff um so some of the stuff i recently read that's just really good is um well one if i survive you by jonathan escoffrey is 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 beautiful i was lucky to get an arc um that's coming out i think in september i want to say um and what else oh chelsea t hicks um story collection a calm and normal heart um, is she's a native writer. She's an Osage, uh, writer. She's phenomenal. I was just in a conversation with her last night. Um, well, mm. June, tw- June 29th, um, with left bank books and, uh, we had a great conversation. So if folks are interested, definitely go check that out. Um, her, her collection was just, uh, phenomenal. Um, there was Joseph Hahn's nuclear family I read, which was just so good. So good. Um, like prose wise, but also the artistic liberties he took in formatting um, certain elements of, of the uh, actual language and, and writing. Um, Mother Ocean, Father Nation um, by, what's his name? Uh, Nishant uh, Bacha was mm. another one um, that I read that was good. Some books I'm looking forward to that are, that are coming out. Um, I can't, I can never remember her name. This one's already out, but uh, Night Night Crawling, I think, by um, oh, uh, Layla Motley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was super, yeah, I, yeah. I just read today. It was like, I read an article and it was like, oh, she's a teenager. I was like, what? And, you know, and I went and looked and she's only 19 and I was just completely blown away. So I'm like, I'm That's so it. excited for her career. You know, like, yeah. if we're getting this book at this age, you know, it's like, what else are we going to get? That's funny. I've recommended that book so much and, I think I didn't like line up an interview with her or anything and did not know that that just blew my mind. Like now, like yeah. thinking about reading that book and knowing that just, it's just I sh- jaw dropping. I am, I, <laughs> what am I doing with my life? <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. I was like, I, I was, I did a, uh, another, I did a podcast the other day and uh, the person was like, um, you, you know, you're really young for having, you know, put out this, this book that's getting all these accolades. And then after I read that, you know, <laughs> she's 19 yeah. and I'm like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, I should have like 20 books out by now. Um, <laughs> oh man. But yeah, I'm looking forward to reading hers. Um, the new um, Otessa Moshfeg novel I'm interested in checking out. Um, oh, Dirtbag Massachusetts by Isaac mm-hmm. Fitzgerald is coming out in July, which, which I got an arc of and is just a phenomenal book. Yeah. Um, he's uh, a he phenomenal will... person. Yeah, I I so I interviewed him for the podcast um a few weeks ago, but it'll oh, cool. be out after this conversation, time wise. Yeah. <laughs> um just the nicest guy. Oh my god, he's fantastic. Yes. He I, I met him at the New England Independent Independent Bookseller Association. Mm. We were in conversation and like I just felt like I knew him my whole life. Like that's the way yeah. like like he he acts he's just he just radiates you know goodness and yeah. his book does the same thing too um yeah because so. it, it's 
I'm not, not, I guess we'll just, I'll, I'll not talk about them too much, but yeah, like I, I thought going into it, it was going to be like a dark gritty. I mean, and cause like about what it's about, but it's just like, yeah. and I think I wrote like in my little blurb for it, it sparkles. It just feels like you feel good reading about it, even though there's so much yeah darkness in it. Yeah. None of it's ever exploited or sensationalized. It, mm-hmm. It's there, but then he goes beyond it with this sense of like pure light, which is just a fresh of breath yeah. air in this, you know, day and age is so much media being, you know, misery porn in a sense, right? Um, but yeah. I want to thank Morgan for joining the podcast today and giving me all those great book recommendations. That's literally my favorite part of most conversations I have with any single person on the planet. And Morgan's book recs uh, were just terrific. You can find him at morgantalty.com. That's morgan, T-A-L-T-Y.com. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at daybeautiful. As always, I'm Adam, this is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful.